Good afternoon. We're grateful for your presence. We have a few who are visiting with us. We're grateful that you are here. We look forward to studying together for a few moments. Uh, we are continuing to uh, adjust and learn how to adjust an early afternoon service. We've had lots of suggestions. I offered that we could have somebody go up and down the aisle selling coffee uh, to keep everybody awake. Uh, somebody said we could get Don to leave Father Abraham uh, before the service gets started. Uh, we could try, try several different things, but uh, I know that everybody, uh, even if you didn't stay and eat with us uh, here at the building, we know that everybody's a little, little tired, uh, and uh, so we'll do our best to get through the lesson each week and try to take something that uh, we can apply to our lives. And tonight, uh, this afternoon, if you were listening there or following along with Chase's reading, uh, our topic for this evening is one that you are familiar with, and you probably heard the word before. If you have your bulletin, you're, of course, already on the right track. But from 1 John chapter 2 here, the idea of Antichrist. And I don't know what it is um, that you think of when you hear that word or see that phrase. If we were to go and take a poll or go up and down the street in Saudi Daisy or Chattanooga and ask some questions, there would be lots of different ideas that we would get. When you think of the word Antichrist, most people think of the idea of the rapture or rapture. Some people think of seven years of tribulation. Uh, some people think about the idea that the Jews, excuse me, will return to Jerusalem, uh, that the temple will be rebuilt, um, and then the Antichrist will come. That's kind of the, the thought that usually goes along with this. And it really makes for interesting, I don't know if theater is the best word. I don't know if any of you read a few years ago, it's been probably many years ago now, uh, but several people put out some books. It was a series of books called The Left Behind uh, series. I think there were some movies that came off of that. It is a very interesting story, if you will, a very interesting thought process, <clears throat> what some people take and, and take out of specifically the book of Revelation, uh, but maybe the Bible in general when it comes to this idea of the end times, as they say, or uh, the last things, or the rapture, or those kinds of ideas. It's interesting when we think about the word antichrist, uh, in particular, the word antichrist is found zero times in the Old Testament. And the word antichrist is found zero times in the book of Revelation. There are actually four passages, and we're going to probably examine almost all of them very quickly through our lesson this afternoon, but four passages, and they all come from these epistles that were written by John. And one of the main passages, if you have opened there or already turned there a moment ago, will be 1 John uh, chapter 2, and we'll take a look at this as we go through. But the New Testament scriptures mention this idea of Antichrist being as one who opposes the Lord. And that's kind of what we're going to come back to. And so Christians, it would be beneficial for us to examine, as we have tried to emphasize sometimes on our Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening sermons, Christians need to study, to know what the scriptures have to say about lots of things. We might even say anything in a general sense, but certainly when it comes to things that people have many, many misconceptions about, it would help us. And you never know, and I think I've said this with some of these other lessons, I would never expect you to stop someone in the grocery store and try to fully break down the idea of the book of Revelation and the Antichrist and all these things standing in the aisle at the grocery store. But you never know when someone tries to hand you a brochure or a pamphlet or something like that, a tract, or you have a chance to hand one off, that it might open the door to then try to explain, hey, let's think about what the Bible has to say about that. Would the Antichrist? Sure. Then if someone opens their Bible and studies what it has to say about that, maybe they're interested in studying what it has to say about baptism 
or about Jesus or about lots of other things um, that would really be helpful if we could teach others. And so we want to be prepared, although I understand because certainly I kind of learn myself and, and remind myself sometimes when I say, well, I know that that's the case, but, but I really can't put my finger on that verse. We all need to be a little better informed, not that we'll have it, everything right off the top of our head, but that we can be able to speak clearly as the Bible speaks about some of these things. One of the things that we always emphasize when it comes to these kinds of lessons is understanding context. So let's talk for a moment as we begin to talk about John's context here. John is writing in the latter part of the first century. Most people would date the book of 1 John around 90, 90 AD was when it may have been written. And the problem that had begun to arise in the church is the problem of Gnosticism. Now, if you're like me, unless you do more study, that seems like a really big word that you're unfamiliar with. You don't even know what it means, or it's hard to even break down. And as I was doing some more study over the last week, I reminded myself of this idea that the word Gnosticism, or a person being a Gnostic, is a very broad category. It's not one of those things that when you sit down, then you can just say, oh, well, that's it. I know exactly what you believe because there's different branches, we might even say, of Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism is a, a break off of the word gnosis, which is the word for knowledge. And so in a lot of ways, just to try to give you a general overview, it deals with the people who are Gnostics believe that salvation is, de is dependent upon a knowledge or really it's like a secret knowledge. You know, it's a, maybe just, if you're a Gnostic, you know, but you may not know otherwise. And so it's a very broad category to talk about uh, this idea of a secret knowledge. Some people you'll see, um, they claim to have this special knowledge, and they'll sort of teach the idea that matter, I mean, M-A-T-T-E-R, all matter is evil, and the soul is good. And it gets really deep from there, a lot of different branches, like I said a moment ago, but the Gnostics developed concepts or ideas of the nature of Christ which were not true. So let's back up. If you were with us this morning, we talked about the Corinthians, and we said the Corinthians, part of their troubles, were they had been, they'd been some pretty bad people who had done a lot of bad things. They had been involved in fornication and adultery, idolatry, homosexual relationships, all of these things. Uh, but also, so Christians, as Paul's writing, this is what they're fighting. They're fighting their past, what they had always done. Also, some Christians were fighting new ideas and different things. Paul or John or whomever had been with them, they had taught them about Jesus. Those folks depart for whatever reason, and then these people are left going, well, you know, there's this new preacher down the road, and he's preaching that Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a man. And that's one of the other things that you'll sometimes hear with Gnosticism is their concepts were based on what they believed to be the in incompatibility they could not, these things were not compatible, the idea of being human and divine. We say Jesus was human here on this earth, he was also divine. That doesn't make sense to them. They, they say it's not compatible. And so they believed that humanity and divinity could not dwell together. So they either deny that Jesus was human or they deny that Jesus was divine. Now, that's a lot to kind of take in. But let's talk about a couple of other schools of thought that developed which deny an essential part of Jesus' nature. One of those is docetism. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but docetism. They denied that Jesus was actually humanity. They claimed that Jesus only seemed to be 
flesh and blood. Now, I don't, again, for the sake of even my time, I didn't have time to delve into that a whole lot, but they, uh, they, that's what their claim is. They denied he was actually human. Uh, he just seemed to be flesh and blood. I don't know if that means he was a ghost. I don't know if that means he had bones. If you touched him, if your hand went through him, I don't know what that means, but he seemed to be flesh and blood. Now, the second group, another branch or school of thought that came out from, from here was the Surinthians, I guess is how you would say it. Pay attention there if you're jotting down your, your bulletin, your outline. That's not Corinthians, like we talked about today from Corinth, but Surinthians. They said that Jesus, the man, was born as other people are born, and indeed was the son of Mary and Joseph, as we read about and think about in the account of Scripture. They said that they said the Christ deity, not humanity, but the Christ deity descended upon Jesus at his baptism and then left him on the cross. Now, I told you it was deep. I don't know, maybe a little too tired to start trying to wrestle with all these things, but that he was a human born of Mary and Joseph, that deity then came down at his baptism and then left him on the cross. I'm sure there's a lot more than that, but we'll suffice it to say for our time in this lesson, this is what John is writing about. This is who he is writing to. People that maybe they're not totally believing these things and accepting them in, but they're certainly hearing them. Some of you have children. Many of you have children who are grown, who are out of the house through college and in, in that kind of realm already. But we talk about that as parents. We talk about that as a church, that our young people would go off to college or go into the world and they hear all kinds of crazy things. It may not be something like this, because especially here in the Bible Belt, you go just about anywhere, you're going to get Jesus, Jesus being preached in some form or fashion, maybe some erroneous ideas about other things, but you'll hear about Jesus. But yeah, in the world, there are a lot of ideas, and John is writing to people who are struggling with these things. So he mentions in 1 John chapter 2, the Antichrist. Let's talk about some characteristics of the Antichrist. Number one, Many people are looking for an evident personality to appear. And by personality, we mean a person. A personality to appear on the scene and fight openly against Christ. Now, I am not an expert on some of these matters and what people believe. I have heard some folks say that they believe that when the rapture takes place, that the Antichrist will come and he will you know, minister to the Jews and make a deal with them for three and a half years. Then he'll turn their back on them. So it's, we're talking about a person. But you see there, it's a misconception. And, and I'll tell you this, I, I learned the hard way like we do sometimes. Be careful what you type into Google when you type in Antichrist into Google, right? Because there was a picture of the president before this current one that got popped up. There was a picture of the president before that one that popped up when you type in Antichrist, right? Because that's what people say. When they talk about the Antichrist, they're talking about one powerful person, not only in personality maybe, sort of charming people and ruling over the world, but also someone that would be powerful enough to go through and kind of unite people for a time and then maybe openly fight against Christ. But here's kind of the problem with that. It would be too obvious, and notice what John says there in 1 John 2 and verse number 26. 1 John 2, 26, he says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. You see, one problem or with, with the misconception about this would be that if it's one you know, powerful, evident personality, 
would be that people would recognize that and it would be sort of hard for that person to deceive people. Look at 2 John verse 7. You may not have to go far in your Bible there. 2 John verse 7. This is the, uh, one of the other passages where Antichrist is mentioned. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So there's kind of a problem here with what many people have an idea when they think about this idea of antichrist. So then what is the truth maybe, or at least part of the truth here as we think about characteristics of this person or people? Well, first of all, we would notice the truth of the matter is, is that rather than being one powerful personality, it's more than likely, according to John here, seems to be many people who are secretly working in opposition to Christ. And you might add that into your notes there if you're jotting it down. But many people who are secretly working in opposition to Christ. The real meaning of anti, as we know, is opposed to or against. And so we see here that there are many anti or many who are opposed to Christ. And that is, if you're still there in 1 John 2, 1 John 2, 18. Even now many antichrists. There's not just one mighty powerful person who is claiming that he is opposing Christ. Instead, there are many. Many people who secretly, even deceptively, who are working in opposition to the Son of God and his people. So then that leads us to another question. Another truth about this. Can we tell who these people are? And the answer is yes. Identification of these antichrists can be made today. And notice from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. John, an inspired apostle, stands for the revealed word of God the New Testament scriptures. He says that those who went out from the apostles claimed and practiced something other than what they preached. And because that's what they are doing, they were anti or opposed to Christ, hence the name Antichrist. And, and that's kind of the key here as we think about this. We can know and identify that people are antichrist. Can we tell? Yes. How? There's a departure from the word of God. John is staking a claim. He is putting the stake down and saying what we are teaching you and what we are saying is from God. And anyone who departs from that is antichrist. Our salvation depends upon understanding who they are, and what makes them such, as we said just a moment ago. So the real test, do you want to know who an antichrist is? The real test is agreement, acceptance, and advocation of the same doctrine the apostles made known. That's the key. 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And so John is acknowledging and saying here that there is a God the Father, there is God the Son, and he says that it is upon these words, the words that he is making known, 
that that is that's the matter here that's the agreement at the time of john's writing people were going off on their own reasoning they were going off into these other lines of thinking uh, with the basic theory that they had accepted the nature of christ denying that he had come in the flesh i don't know about you we say this quite often but that sounds a lot like 2021 and it's probably going to sound a lot like 2022. And as long as this earth still stands, it sounds like what people will continue to do. Have the doctrines changed? Have the ideas changed some? Sure. They were still talking about Christ, just denying either his humanity or his divinity. Now people are saying what? I mean, any number of things about whether or not we should even follow the word of God. And the principle, this principle is true in relation to any doctrine. Not just the divinity or humanity of Christ. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 6. Look there, 1 John 4 verse 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are supposed to, even as, as Paul would write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, 2 Thessalonians 5, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians, pardon me, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. We're to test every spirit, every form of doctrine, everything that we hear. That goes for almost everything that we hear. In the world, we need to test all things, but especially when it comes to this idea of spiritual things. This is the test for determining who is of Christ and who is against Christ. We must, as Christians, we must try our best to discern truth from error and associate our, ourselves with those who teach and practice the truth. And we say that. And we honestly mean that. Some people say, oh, you just, just lip service. But we say that, and we honestly mean that about anything that comes out of this pulpit, anything that comes out of the classes that we have here. Because that is our desire, that we be of Christ, teaching the things that are of Christ and not against him. That it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to try to teach the truth to study and be prepared and teach the truth, but it's your responsibility to be sure that I'm teaching the truth, to be sure that anyone that stands up here is preaching the truth because that is the key. And I've shared with you that, you know, I've been even doing some research recently and thinking about lots of folks, their story upon story, and just as we said this morning, over the course of thousands of years, idolatry has always been a problem. Over the course of thousands of years, People have always had a problem with some who claim to be leaders and stand before a group and say one thing but are practicing something else. Whether they're taking money from the congregation or whether there's sexual impropriety or something else in their life that they're dealing with, there are people who will always stand up and say one thing and do something else. Which the point, part of the point of the lesson here is, and one of the main dangers that we can take from this, is that any of us, can become antichrist see why talk about this i mean what's the point why do we need to worry about these things well certainly from a sense that we need to be able to identify people we need to be able to call people out and say that person is antichrist 
Not because they're an evil person, not because they've murdered people or stolen lots of money, but because they're simply saying things that are contrary to the word of God. They are not of Christ because they are not speaking the things that are true from the word of God. And that is some people who blatantly do it, (coughs) pardon me, and others who do it kind of on the sly, on the side. People who claim to be Christians. And one reason why this is important is not just that we can identify, but that we avoid becoming antichrist. We avoid being able to outwardly appear very godly, but inwardly we're not doing what we should. Inwardly we are, disopo- uh, uh, we are disobedient. We may be deceived by those who appear outwardly, they appear very godly, And we may be led astray. So it's up to us to take what we hear and to listen and to check what is said against the word of God. Have you ever talked to someone who mentions some of the people that they see on TV from time to time? We'll just throw it out there, right? Obviously not every person who's ever spoken on television, not every person who claims to be a preacher who preaches on television, not every single thing they say may be wrong. But, you know, sometimes you ask somebody about what they do, what they listen to, what they know, and they'll mention, well, you know, I watch so-and-so, I watch this person, I watch that person, I flip through my television, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of programs you can pick out. And so many people can dress up, they can stand in front of a church building, and they can say something, and if you open up your Bible, it has nothing to do with what God has actually said about a particular matter. People may appear to be working for Christ and his cause, But the truth is, that's not what they're doing. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21? And there at the Sermon on the Mount, we know the idea. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. They may say that Christ is Lord and that he is ruling their lives. But the truth of the matter is, they're not living that way. Luke chapter 6 in verse number 46, Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's the, kind of, that's the kind of straightforward question we parents ask our kids sometimes. You know, you're saying one thing, you're claiming you want to be a part of this family, or you're claiming that you love me, but you're not listening or doing anything that I say. It happens amongst families. It happens with God very often as well. Jesus is shrugging his shoulders here almost In a manner of saying, you're saying one thing, but you're doing something else. People can easily say that Christ is Lord and that he is ruling in their lives. But the truth of the matter is we are either with him or anti him. Look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30. Jesus says, and you know, we talk about people like to promote the idea that God is love, Jesus loved everyone, and all we have to do is love people. But you also know, if you know your Bible and your scripture and you know the words of Jesus, he was pretty straightforward sometimes, right? Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Sounds pretty simple. Sounds pretty cut and dry. So the question for us is, where do we stand? Whoever is a deceiver and is in opposition to Christ is antichrist. That's what we need to remember. 
If you want to take something from this lesson, I can't help you in this moment with all these things about the idea of revelation or the rapture and all those things, but I can tell you this. If you hear the word antichrist, it's helpful to know what the Bible says. And it's mentioned primarily here by the words of John in these epistles. And if you're jotting down notes, I don't know if we touched on all of them, but let me give them to you one more time here. There's four passages, actually four verses we might say. 1 John 2, 18, 1 John 2, 18, 1 John 2, 22. That was 1 John 2, 22, 1 John 4, 3. 1 John 4, 3, and then 2 John, verse 7. 2 John, verse 7. And if you're not turned there, look back in that section of Scripture one more time with me as we begin to conclude this lesson. And notice one more time what John has to say here. He calls the people who are promoting these ideas, he calls them false teachers. 1 John 2 and verse 22, he calls them liars. 1 John 4, 1, he calls them false prophets. And in 2 John, in verse number 7, he calls them deceivers. Now, I don't think it's a difficult question, but which side do you want to be on? If John was writing this letter to us today, which, by the way, it still applies, we may not call people Gnostics. We may not deal with Docetism or Serenthians or whatever those names they went by maybe at that time. But do you know people who deny Christ? Let me ask you that. Number one, do you know people who deny Christ? Do you, do you number two, know people who claim to follow Christ but deny him with their actions or the way that they live? You see, we have to take a stand in Christ. We are either on his side, fighting and living in his kingdom, or we are against him and his cause and his people. It sounds very harsh, and most of us are doing our best to try to follow after him. But when it comes to this term antichrist, it helps us to know those people are false teachers, deceivers, liars, false prophets. And I think we all agree we don't want to be in that particular camp of people. And so as we conclude this lesson this afternoon, it's a very simple question. Are you with Christ or are you opposed to Christ? Maybe it gets a little more difficult as we begin to then examine whether or not our actions show we are with Christ or anti-Christ. Because it's easy to profess one thing and it's harder to live it out. So as we conclude this lesson, we ask for you to consider your life and your actions. Maybe you're here and you're anti-Christ because you've never put on the name of Christ in baptism. We'll be singing this song that's been selected in just a moment to encourage you through its words that you would be in Christ found in Christ where all spiritual blessings are found. But maybe you're in that second category of people, those who were at one time baptized and are living, were living as a Christian but have now turned your back to Christ and are opposed or anti-Christ, whether by your actions on purpose or even sometimes, I don't know that it's by accident, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but sometimes we just find ourselves doing things that we know are not right. We slowly kind of slip away into a sinful lifestyle. We're thankful for Christ, that he was human and came to this earth, that he was divine, that he was willing to shed his blood on the cross for you and for me and for the world. As we said, I guess it was last Sunday maybe in one of our lessons, no one has to stay in that particular station in life. Even this afternoon as we are about to sing this song, you can become a Christian or you can come back to him. If you'd like to know more or like the prayers of this congregation, we would love to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.